0: Welcome to the Watches of the Skies program. We're here at AUTV20 at Ashland University, one of the greatest places on earth. We are perfectly located between Cleveland and Columbus, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dennis Montacrucis. Dennis, welcome. Thank you, good morning. We have a guest in the studio, we Luis do. Rivas. Luis, we're glad you're here with us. I'm glad
1: to be here, Carlos, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: You know, we've known Luis for a while, at least I have. Luis has now is now working at an organization where we first connected through Esperanza. They do phenomenal work helping Latina and Latino students kind of navigate higher education, prepare for higher education, And get folks uh, acclimated and uh, get them through and graduate on time and then become great graduates like yourself
1: yeah we sort of came full circle in a sense so it's really a beautiful organization and the work that we do is often overlooked but nevertheless we are out here um and yeah i'm just happy to be here
0: so glad you're here you're joining us on the watches of the skies program and we're here with lots of uh, students in the studio that make it all happen we've got mason Jonathan's running the show today, Maddie is here, Olivia in the back, and Zach's got this camera as well. You know, we wanna make sure that our audience knows that they can write in at president.ashland.edu, ask us questions about any of the episodes. Today we're taking on a tough one, Luis. You know, you just came right into the fire, and so you know we're talking about affirmative action has been in place now pretty much codified since the 70s, late 70s, Dennis. But now there's a, a new Supreme Court case. UNC and Harvard are both being scrutinized here. Who's brought the case? What do we anticipate? Set the stage, and then we'll we'll hear from our guest as well.
2: Right. So it's a group called Students for Actually, I forget the acronym. Um, SFFA, but. Um, students yes. for Fair Act, right for fair admissions. Yes. And initially, these two cases were going to be joined, but because the newest Supreme Court justice was on the Harvard Board of Overseers, they split them. So, and there are differences between the two cases, even though they were, they certainly have overlap, and they were lumpable. They're now split. So, one case is against Harvard University, the other case is against uni- the University of North Carolina, the Chapel Hill um, school in particular. Yes. So. In in both cases, the claim is that affirmative action is basically working as reverse discrimination, most clearly in the Harvard case. So in the Harvard case, Asians have really been, have had their admissions severely curtailed based on what you would expect just given, let's say, all of the objective metrics of GPA, their their SAT scores, and so on. Uh, The particularly controversial aspect of it is this um, personality score, in effect, where en masse, it seems, I mean, just remarkable how strongly uh, or how low their scores are on measures like likability, courage, and uh, and I forget, a, a third major one. But those those two, in particular, it's, it's so, I, I mean, unless you just really hold that there's something about Asian cultures, and of course, there are many Asian cultures sure. that are just so um, inhibitory towards the development of one's personality. I mean, unless you hold to something like that, which which come on is That's awfully awfully deal. hard, sure, right to, to buy, then clearly they're they're being discriminated against, and it's um, a lot of parallels have been drawn to the way Jews were excluded hmm. from higher ed and at least the, the most elite schools, especially yes. in the um, in the twenties, really even up to about 1960 in some cases. And so I remember as an example of that, uh, the famous physicist Richard Feynman, uh, who I think this is when he was applying to Princeton for his Ph.D. program. So at MIT, he was off the charts. I mean, recognized as just, you know, a generational talent in physics. And not only that, but even in mathematics, he had had the highest score on the Putnam test, which is this nationwide competition. Right. So he, he won that. And he's a physicist, you know, but... What was interesting is there was um, a letter where the person, or one of the, the, I don't know if it was the physics chair or the person who would end up probably overseeing him, wrote a back. Wrote back to a, a concerned letter from an administrator. You know, was, he's Jewish. We're worried about that. And he said, "Well, it's okay. He's not. He doesn't seem too Jewish.
0: He doesn't. Oh he
2: doesn't look or act Jewish." Basically, was what the response oh, was. And, and so there seems to be something kind of like that with Asians at, at Harvard. Um, so that that case, I mean. I think the the consensus view is they're going to have a really difficult time justifying their anti-Asian admissions practices, and this likability score in particular.
0: Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, whenever you have holistic applications, I'm trying to remember the last time I was on Harvard's campus, but one of the things that was striking was the amount of Asian students on campus. I mean, it really was obvious to me that there was a superabundance of them and as i dug into the population many of them actually were international students Mm -hmm. from south korea in in particular but other really high performing students from the u.s as well so you know louise this the whole idea of course behind affirmative action was never a quota system we talked about that a little bit before going on air but instead this idea of, of balancing so i know where i sit I think about our community all the time, and we certainly want our community to reflect the broader community in Ashland County and in Ohio. And I'll tell you this. When I talk to students, they want a more diverse student population. Of course. I don't think that they would be all that averse to us using race as a factor as we have since 78. But this is about to be curtailed, it looks like. Certainly, as a Hispanic student, you went to CSU, yeah. pretty diverse campus there. Very diverse. You know, maybe give us your thoughts about this, this balance between should administrators at a private school or a public school, school have this ability to consider race? How would you feel if the Supreme Court did strike this down, which looks like it's going to happen between now and June, but it's hard to say.
1: Give us your thoughts. Truthfully, I think it... Uh I think it's important to consider the standpoint and the perspective where affirmative action came from, right, they wanted to diversify these campuses that were primarily, you know, dominated by white students. So, in the sense, I think it's important to take that perspective, but also take the perspective of, for example, yourself, where you want to diversify your students, your student organizations, mm-hmm. your student campus as a whole, and for that reason, I think that I'm in, I'm in sort of the middle here because I think there is a very key portion of the population that feels like their race is important to them, right? So to see that on campus would be a a factor, right? Right. So to say that institutions can discriminate based on race, I think that's inherently unfair, Right. right? So especially what's going on with Harvard, you know, discriminating against their Asian population, the Asian population based on and including such things as personality test scores, which, you know, I'm a psychology major. I graduated with a degree in psychology. So I understand the importance of personality, but I understand the importance of testing. Correct. So in that sense, I think it's very unfair to certain populations such as asians but i think in another sense it's very important to other populations such as hispanics and uh, black communities where these things have to be put there in order for us to have a chance because there was a very very vivid statement you said some months ago where so often we're tied to our zip code mm-hmm. right we become our zip code and a lot of zip codes are extremely limited so college is opening up their doors To these different zip codes and in some ways it's not only based on their race but acts as an inclusion because of their race right Right. it's important to bring that aspect into campuses it's important to bring that aspect and perspective into education because on one hand you know it would be devastating to Harvard to just see Asian students but on another hand it is still devastating to Harvard to Discriminating against Asian populations, go. so it's, it's a very easy. it's a tightrope, right? Sure. So, right. Dennis,
2: well, 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 one thing that can be said. So, I, I like the point you made. Well, two two things in particular I, I I want to kind of build on a little bit. So, one was you said black communities plural, and and I think that that's fair because I mean there are it's not monolithic, right? None of these commun- communities are monolithic, right? So, when you just have this kind of broad brush, well, we need to in- increase numbers of these populations just in general, right? It doesn't. It doesn 't distinguish between let's say uh, a legacy Harvard um, uh, student or an admission where the parents are black and they're they're thriving and they're making you know money hand over fist right versus let's say someone who's coming from a, a much more disadvantaged background right right so one of the the other point I wanted to make then was that an alternative that's been been thrown out there is to um, to do it, let's say by by hardship, right? So you could have, you could have socio socioeconomic status, because there's there's no there's no Title Six or Fourteenth Amendment that says that you can't weigh that, right? So it's just saying you can't do it based on you can't do it based on race, and and ethnicity and things of that sort. Yeah. So there could be, I mean, that's at least one of the workarounds where you can still try to have, let's say, you're trying to help those who are disadvantaged, and it'll also very likely have um, or or bring in more of, let's say, a mixed, ethnically mixed uh, population to the campus. So that's at least one of the options that's still available to schools.
0: Well, it's interesting because one of the topics we're going to take on in another podcast is the most recent results of the National Assessment of Educational Progress, and they were dismal. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah, graduation
1: rates in Cleveland for high school students dropped 10%. Yeah
0: graduation rates are down, their ability to score on, you know, fourth and eighth grade math. But as we dug into those numbers, of course, Dennis, you know, it was shocking to see how black populations and Hispanic populations were 30 points below on, you know, I think on the language scores, 30 points below for each one. But we also saw socioeconomic element in that students who qualified for school lunches were also in that same bandwidth. So it's this whole idea that if you don't take some of those factors in, into consideration that it can become difficult. But as I read through here's someone actually takes on pretty much what you had said, Dennis, as a possible compromise of sorts. And here's what he says. He says, taking life experience into account, right? So life experience versus race, including experiences related to race, would be fine. So, so as long as universities can show through various scoring and weighting systems exactly what influence it has. So that, so that an outsider can determine that the university is indeed evaluating hardships overcome and not simply using a racial preference in disguise. And I will tell you that when you use a scoring rubric like that, you know what? What would you? How would you weight those systems, right? So here's a hardship scoring weight system. We're we're the panel evaluating students as they come in. Right. Well, this person's hardship was, you know, their mother died of cancer when they were a sophomore in high school, right? And someone else, their hardship was that, you know, they had an injury, a sports injury, right? So we put a one score on. The, well, you know what I'm getting at here? Yeah. So I think it it really does pose some difficulties for admissions teams here, and part of me wonders both to Dennis and Louise, should, especially an independent private school like Ashland, should we have more latitude to say, hey, listen, this is our student body. We are we don't take federal dollars directly. So should we have more latitude maybe than a UNC or a public school in this regard? Should we? Well,
2: I mean, as long as we're not violating, I mean, I would say principles of, of, of law and justice. So, sure. I mean, there's always going to be some subjectivity in it, but I mean, I think you can still, in general, see in the aggregate. So for instance, if you have different topics, so let's say you have, um, in terms of the the voting slate, right? So it's supposed to be random in terms of, do you have the Democrat listed first, the Republican listed first? So it may not be exactly balanced. But if you have, let's say, 29 to 1 in favor of one party, eh, you kind of scratch your head and you think, well, maybe this wasn't so random after all. So I mean I think sure I mean you can take the, these things into account, and there will be subjectivity. Uh, but again I mean I think at a certain point you can say well there doesn't seem to be any problem. Another point you might say well it's kind of iffy, but can't make the case. And in other cases you can say well you have no Asians at your school. I mean obviously it's not no Asians, but sure. I mean but that sort of thing. And then you you kind of say well okay this looks kind of funny, and um, you can make that sort of case. So I mean I think. If, if there is genuinely a good faith effort and you don't see some kind of statistical, gross statistical anomalies, then yeah. I mean, I think you, you can try to do that and, and it's, it's reasonable to try
0: to do that. Well, you know, as I read through the many articles that are reviewing this, when I hear speeches from folks on both sides here, a lot of folks are really making this an issue about race. Is this a, an issue about race? Is this, if we, eliminate, if the Supreme Court eliminates this ability to allow race to be a factor, are we going to take a step back as a country?
1: I think truthfully to speak to that, I think Mm -hmm. we would be in a sense taking a step back because we have to understand where these institutions and how they were built, right? Institutions, university and higher education as a whole wasn't built for minority students, right? It was built for primarily white students. So taking that perspective into account, I think it in a sense, would be taking a step backwards, but at the same time, I can't help but acknowledge the discrimination that may be happening, right? So, like I said, I don't necessarily have the solution, I don't think any of us have the solution, but I think it's important to take into perspective those different accounts, like, why why did affirmative action come into play? Why should we take race into consideration? And to, I didn't get to, you know, comment on the subjectivity of hardship, right? Right. But who is to say anyone's experience is more or less exactly. hard than another person's? Because through hardships, you know, there's character development. And, you know, it kind of ties in almost to that personality, you know, assessment, right? So it's it's just it's really fascinating to me to to see this all unravel and to see where it's gonna go. And like I said, I'm no professional in the background of law or you know affirmative action or anything, but that's just my perspective on it. Sure, Yeah.
0: Well, and I'm reading from just one article, but you know, in this article, this writer and I, we give folks credit. So uh, this writer in particular, Ellie or Ely Mistal, he calls out both of the lawyers who are. on the student side, and calls them white lawyers. And then he he talks about the person who helped to organize the the case, and he calls Bloom, is his last name, and his white conservative ilk are trying to find success through pitting different minority communities against each other in the competitive world of college admissions. And so that's the kind of language that I've been reading that I, I don't know that it fairly objectively looks at what this case is really all about.
2: Right. I mean, my inclination is to say, is there an argument there? <laughs> right, right. Right. I mean, it's OK. It's, an, it's a nice ad hominem, but you have a legal case, right? So, I, I mean, even if what he's saying is true, it still doesn't address the legal issues. So that, that's not go. helpful. Right. And, and again, I mean, it's, it's not that the value that's, that's being or that, that affirmative action is concerned with is, is going to be thrown away necessarily. Right. It's just saying, yeah, this is a value, but you can't do it this way. Right. And, and so there are, again, mechanisms. So, again, you can have a zip code approach. You can have these, these essays. Is it perfect? No, but, I mean, affirmative action isn't perfect either. Right. So Obviously. It's, right, right. 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 Um, well, and not only is it not perfect um, in terms of, let's say, legal issues, but it
0: hasn't necessarily succeeded either right. in, in doing what it's, what it's intended to do. Sure. At UNC, yeah. uh, one of the flagship schools even in the South, I want to say their black population is 8%. And in North Carolina, as a state, it's right. in the 20s. Yeah. You know, so there's a perfect example. And you know, will it be one-to-one, should it be one-to-one? These are all things that are, that are debated. And you know, just to get back to this article, the reality is I don't know who's defending the UNC case, but I do know that the, U, the Harvard case is being defended by a Harvard alum who's a white man. But that's never, he's called out, but his race is never mentioned in this article. And so I, I do think this is a com- complex issue. You know, my feeling is that students and research shows students learn better if the population around them is more broadly uh, racial, uh, has racial mixes. And I will tell you that whatever campus I've served on or visited to to a student, students say it enhances our experience for sure. And I will tell you, even living in a small community like Ashland, that a lot of the community members will write to us and say, we are grateful that the university is here because you bring diversity to our entire city that we wouldn't have otherwise.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's it's extremely important to also acknowledge, you know, the purpose of higher education is to educate and also to translate students into workers, right? Sure. And in different work environments, you're going to have different populations, To so to only have a certain population in a college and then be translated into a workplace where you're, Working with so many diverse, you know cultures mm-hmm. people people of ethnic backgrounds. It's so incredibly difficult to be Dismissive of that right to not acknowledge that Right it's, it, colleges have to in a sense have this diversity because that's it's going to directly translate into the workplace
0: right, you know, we Talk about having a very welcoming community here at Ashland. I know you've only been here a few minutes, but... You know, Beautiful. Yeah, so you've already started to experience some of that, but we know we don't get it right with every population of student, and every, and, but we're learning and we're growing. And I think, Luis, you point out an outstanding point. What's the university experience all about? It is. It's training people for the workplace and for the society and communities that they're going to right. and developing some abilities around this uh, Expanding your sensibilities around race and culture and these things is critically important, sure, and it's, it's easy because by our nature, our nature is we tend to congregate around people that are like us, that think the way that we do, and so it's really important for us to continue this movement forward. And I wish we had more time. But unfortunately, as happens every time, Luis, that's one of the things Dennis and I talk about. We take on these topics and there's never enough time to flesh them out perfectly. But thank you for joining us. Really appreciated your comments and your thoughtful feedback there. And thank you to our audience for joining us here on the Watchers of the Skies program. We're going to be back here very soon. We hope that you join us next time on the Watchers of the Skies.